Happy Hype Friday, Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake online podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and today's sweet guest is a very good friend of mine, Marissa Tessman. She received her bachelor's degree at UC San Diego for chemistry, received her master's also at UC San Diego in analytical chemistry, and is currently a research scientist for Algenesis Materials, which we will revisit a little later in our chat because it's super cool. Um, Another really cool fact about Marissa is that she was my TA when I was a wee sophomore at the university for analytical chemistry lab. And if it were not for her, I probably would still be struggling with how to use Excel. Um, <laughs> Marissa, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's really great to have you. How have you been? You. I've been very busy. Very busy. It's great to be here, though. It's great to be Well, it's great to have you. Um, I'm so excited that you're here. So, okay. So, I, I typically ask the guests on my podcast... Uh, what their favorite molecule is, uh, but the but you mentioned that you don't have one. However, you did say what your favorite instrument was, which is the GCMS. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that is and why that's your favorite? Yes. Yeah, so, being an analytical chemist, I thought I would, uh, you know, I thought it would be more appropriate that I pick a favorite of what I actually work with the most right. often. Uh, and so the GCMS is stands for Gas Chromatography Mass Spectrometry. And it's basically the ultimate instrument in a chemistry lab because it's super versatile. Uh, it basically f- functions... Uh, <laughs> 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 How do I even begin? Uh, so it's two instruments put together. And it starts off where you take a sample of what you want to measure, you run it through this stream of gas, Mm. and the gas uh, runs through what's called a column. Mm -hmm. The column has a bunch of sticky particles on Mm -hmm. it, or sticky material. Uh, So molecules that have uh, affinity towards the material Mm -hmm. tend to stick to the column and molecules that have less affinity towards the material go through right so what you do is you have the column and you have the gas and so you've got samples flowing and then you ramp up the temperature and you basically boil the the compounds off of the column and through the through the instrument Hmm. so what that enables you to do is take multiple compounds that are in a sample and separate them out which is not something that you can achieve very easily using, you know, general techniques in a lab. And you can do that for tiny amounts of of samples. So you're basically, you can think of it like you're purifying your samples. So you can simplify what it is you're actually looking at. Then on top of that, uh, you, Uh, each of the compounds go through the detector, which is the mass spectrometer. And that one shoots a super fast stream of electrons directly at each compound. Mm -hmm. The electrons bounce off the compound, uh, transfer a bunch of energy, actually carry an electron from the compound with them out the other side. (laughs) And so you're essentially, you're you're like supercharging your compound. The compound breaks up into a bunch of different charged fragments. And because they're charged and because they're fragments, you can measure them out the other side. 
And so you, you get a fingerprint of each compound that you're looking at. And so what you, this enables you to do is identify uh, each compound that comes out. So you separate the compounds and then you identify the compounds based on their molecular fingerprint. To me, that sounds awesome. That's so <laughs> wild. And I, I mean, like, I, I just had to, I had to, like, go back when you said electrons bounce. Yeah. I'm doing air quotes, folks. Bounce off of, like, the molecule. I feel like you're, like, beating it with a sledgehammer. I mean, basically, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <It's> so brutal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, it, it's, it's called, you know, hard ionization. So you, right. you actually want the molecule to break up. Of That's course. That's the whole point. Yeah. So you have to have it be this, you know, this bashing of, of electrons <laughs> and material to get kind of violent. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I remember, I remember like, I think it was fleet. It was very fleeting too. I learned about the different types of mass spectrometry in like a class that I took. I think it was like maybe 10 minutes of the 50 minute lecture, uh-huh. but they were talking about how, how it was a, br- it was, it's brutal. Like it's so much energy <laughs> just like, just like Hulk smashing into your <laughs> into your molecule, I just like that's so wild to like visualize. Oh man! Well, well, well the, I mean, the other cool thing about it is that because it, it's a finite amount of energy that right. has been predetermined by uh, you know mass spectrometrists, I guess you could call them <laughs> GCMS operators across the world, and so every single ma- instrument has the exact same energy that's flowing through Whoa. that's bashing into the molecules, and the energy depends on what kind of fragments you get, or I should say that backwards. The kind of fragments you get depends on the energy. And so it's been this international agreement that we use this one particular energy, so we get this one particular kind of fragmentation, uh, which enables everybody around the world to identify compounds in the exact same way. So it's kind of represents like this cool collaboration as well. Yeah. And kind of revolutionized the way that chemists identify and measure chemicals. That's so cool. Like, how do you get that many people in a room and have them all reach the same consensus? (laughs) Very carefully. Very carefully. (laughs) Well, y'all are analytical chemists, so I guess that makes sense. That tracks. Uh, Okay, yeah. That's really cool. Okay, so... um, Thanks for sharing about the GCMS. That's that's really interesting. Um, w- another thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, something I had mentioned before, algenesis. Um, now, I know what algenesis is, but the folks at home probably don't. So can you please tell us what algenesis materials is? Yeah, so algenesis materials is a small startup that was founded on campus. I actually did my master's uh, making an algae-based surfboard, which was the original project that Algenesis created. Basically, we are a biodegradable, renewable materials development company, I guess you could say. Um, And so our our current project that we're working on is making uh, sustainable, renewable, bio-based flip-flops. So this is a flip-flop that you can wear, you can wear comfortably. We're specifically designing the flip-flop and the, the, the foam inside the flip-flop so that it conforms to normal flip-flop standards. But when you're done with it, you can throw it in a compost pile and it will degrade in a matter of years, as opposed to most flip-flops and most plastics, which I'm sure uh, 
hopefully your listeners have seen or, or heard about this, um, you've got plastic gyres in the ocean, you've got microplastics that people are finding in the Alps, um, in the atmosphere. So this is a company designed to address those issues directly. Mm -hmm. uh, what we actually do is we we formulate the foam piece mm -hmm. uh, inside of the flip-flop. Right. So you may not really realize this, but 90% of what you work with are plastics. Right. And your shoes and your flip-flops are no exception. Right. So the foam inside of your flip-flop is uh, made of a chemical called a polyurethane foam. Right. And so what we're doing is we're uh, engineering uh, the foam at a molecular basis in order to make sure that the bonds in that foam can break mm -hmm. in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, and we're also formulating the actual foam, kind of like baking a cake, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that the foam itself can get uh, the mechanical properties that we're looking for, so that it actually feels good on your feet. Right. Right. That's super cool. So, so tell me more about these polyurethanes. What makes... The polyurethanes in, you know, standard commercial flip flops, different from the polyurethanes in the flip flops that you are uh, making. Yeah. So, polyurethanes actually. I'm gonna sort of segue, but I promise I'll get back to the point. Uh, polyurethanes began about, I think, close to 150 years ago, mm -hmm. um, and they actually started out as biodegradable. These are polyester polyurethane, so the ester bonds inside of the urethanes can break. Right. But over time, the goal of the plastics and polyurethane industry was to make things that were more degrade or not more degradable, less degradable, more durable. Mm -hmm. um, and so the formula got changed over time. Right. Uh, the bonds got modified. Things got added in order to make these things as durable and, and as possible. And so as a result, there's been this trend of the norm is it lasting forever. Right. And so really what we're doing is we're just kind of going back to the fundamentals of what makes a polyurethane a polyurethane. Right. Uh, and trying to select the type of bonds that go into the polyurethane that are actually compatible with uh, organisms in the environment that can break it down. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's super cool. So um, I wanted to revisit like a point that you mentioned. The original uh, project w was to make surfboards. <laughs> yeah. Now, that, I mean, like, it's appropriate because we're, we're in San Diego, but yeah. how did that, like, how did, how was that? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've been working with three professors primarily on this. Um, Mike Burkhart, Steve Mayfield, and Skip Pomeroy. And they uh, were contacted by this company, Arctic Foam, doing a lot of name dropping here, uh, because Arctic Foam makes surfboards. Right. And they, were, they had seen some of the cool algae biodiesel research that these professors have been doing over the years. And I was working in Skip's lab at the time as just some undergrad researcher. Uh, and I just happened to be in the right place at the right time when they were f trying to come up with a, you know, a cool algae oil-based product uh, that could also be, you know, biodegradable. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so are, are the, uh, surfboards now like 
being released to be used by consumers? They're not available for sale yet. Oh, so, okay. So uh, currently they're still being tested. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the big things that I've learned about being Nelgenesis is that it's one thing to make a product on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to actually be able to scale it up for production. Right. So right now we're actually working with Arctic Foam to um, – work out a few kinks in the production, you know, just making sure that we get our formula into their molds and out the other side as quality products before we actually release it. Right, okay. So apart from surfboards and flip-flops, are there any other, like, any other products that this material could be used for? Absolutely. I mean, polyurethanes are kind of ubiquitous they're kind of the plastic that you don't think about Mm -hmm. because they're in a bunch of um they're components in a bunch of other products so like for example you know shoe soles is one of them Mm -hmm. um uh cushions for car seats right so you're actually probably sitting on polyurethane right now Uh, rubbers for tires, right. um, like skateboard wheels, yes. for example. Skateboard wheels, thank you for I talking to, to my love. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of hard plastics right. for, like, you know, just hard plastic components for molding and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, polyurethanes are extremely flexible material in terms of just what kinds of products you can produce from them. It's so fascinating too. Like, I mean, I I'm also I'm also a chemist, and so like I know you can man- manipulate certain materials to do the thing that you want it to. But it just is so wild to me that you can make flip flops, and that's a pretty like sturdy foam. You can also make um, uh, surfboards, which are a bit of a lighter foam, right? Uh, you can make longboard wheels, which are rubbery um, and pretty bouncy and then you can also make skateboard wheels which are much harder and denser Uh, and so it's just like wow how it's it's my mind blown (laughs) it's it's a huge matrix of I guess possibilities yeah matrix of possibilities it's versatile yeah yeah it's versatile and I think uh the important thing to from you know a chemist perspective to think about is okay what kind of chemical do you want to start with right and also what are the functions of the material that you want to end up with um one of the things that was quickly realized with algenesis is that a lot of people have actually made you know bio-based um foams or other materials but they start off with just looking at the chemical that's used and they mm-hmm. don't really look at the end product right so they use a standard formulation you know they don't put too much time into actually figuring out how to properly bake the cake right uh, and so as a result they wind up with an inferior product mm-hmm. and then people look at that research and go oh well that means that bio-based products are inferior mm-hmm. no that's not the case they just need to be tweaked mm-hmm. you know I'm gluten-free right uh, and so I've found that in looking at a bunch of gluten-free products, um, the flour that you use mm-hmm. uh, in order to make bread, for example, has to be treated very differently yeah. than normal flour. Right. Um, and so, you know, you have to put more um, oil in or a different ratio of, you know, of all your different materials. Uh, and that's exactly what we're doing at Algenesis is right. just we're willing to put in the time and the energy and the grunt work in order to, you know, design the perfect, you know, gluten-free cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that that makes yeah, thank you for using that cake analogy because yeah. 
obviously cake loves cake um <laughs> so this is really interesting stuff and you had mentioned like so you you look at this stuff at the molecular level and and you know other other folks are doing this type of research as well and so i wanted to uh backtrack just a little bit you had mentioned that you get your starting materials from algae mm-hmm. so like are you isolating polyurethanes from algae or are you isolating like a monomer and polymerizing it yeah most of what we're doing is looking at monomers because polyurethanes are not naturally made components right the bond in the polyurethane is not a natural component um and so what we're doing is we're taking a look at uh and in some cases engineering uh monomers that can turn into polyurethane foams mm-hmm. um We've got a couple projects going on where we're actually trying to grow up, you know, algae and cyanobacteria hmm. and then extract and purify these monomers, um, which once again, uh, that's another aspect of chemistry that uh, is challenging. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a whole different ballgame. Oh, game. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> being, being a general chemist and sort of an analytical chemist and then also... Uh, coming face to face with process chemistry and scale up and you know microbiology and purification it's a huge learning curve oh yeah but it's so it's so it's I mean like I I feel like to be able to do this type of versatile work uh it it's pretty important to to have a versatile background Mm -hmm. and um I think that's really important for anyone really in any in any field like I I am a a pharmacological chemist I did organic chemistry and a little bit of um, biochemistry and I am now in a magneto chemistry lab which is largely inorganic largely physical chemistry and I'm like well but apparently my background seems to be uh uh, advantageous for the project that I'm working on because it is largely organic um, but you know seeing that uh, overlap of, of different entities of chemistry um, because obviously like you know each each little chemistry subfield is not mutually exclusive there are there are lots of areas of overlap so I think that's I think it's really cool and it, 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 it tracks okay well so, we're going to shift gears just a little bit, just a little bit, um, and I, I wanted to point this out because I just, I just wanted to put you on the hot seat just for a little bit. Uh, this is the Chemistry Cake online podcast. Mm. Marissa, what is your favorite cake flavor? I like pie. She likes <laughs> pie, folks. She likes pie. And you know what? That's okay, because um, all are welcome here. So, but would it be like however. a... However. However. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> so, But would this be like a gluten-free pie? Uh, yeah, yeah. I okay. Mean, so I uh, didn't, I, I guess, grow up as gluten-free. I sort of realized over time that I had a gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. So this actually stems from a family tradition mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family liked pie. My mom makes absolutely amazing pies and so we grew up with uh, you know every time somebody had a birthday they'd get a pie right or on thanksgiving everybody would get their own pie so there was no arguments over, oh you know 
That's who a gets lot of who. pie. It was a lot of pie. Oh my God. So I always got a blueberry pie, and it's amazing. It's not that I don't like cake. <laughs> I suppose I just that. like pie. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I have a history with pie. That's you know what though, like okay. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh huh. Hopefully that makes you feel better. It does. <laughs> on, okay, that was really sweet. And on, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm really just giving you a hard time. But, um, yeah, no, I also love pie. My mom and I, we love apple pie. Um, yes. And, yes, so I, I will not discriminate against those who like pie more than they like cake. However. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's where the thought Goodbye. ends. That's, that's where the thought ends. Yeah, no, I... And you know what? I actually have a tendency toward, okay, folks, this is, I don't know, I hope this doesn't implicate me, um, but for allergy purposes, it is safer for me to eat fruit pies mm-hmm. than cake only because of cr- cross-contamination concerns, but I do love cake. So if it's a cake that cake can have, cake will have the cake. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, Okay. Um, that is, it is, it is, uh, nearing the end of our chat. Marissa, thank you so much, um, for, for joining me today. It's been so sweet to have you. Uh, Anytime. Yeah. Just. It's been fun. And we don't catch up quite as often as I'm sure either of us would like. Yeah. So So it's really, and it's really wonderful to hear all the work that you're doing. It's so exciting. So exciting. Ah, yes. Well. Cake Nation, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you would like to keep up with the many very cool and sustainable and renewable adventures of Algenesis Materials, you can visit their website, uh, algenesismaterials.com, and the link will be in the description. Uh, and of course, you are always welcome to follow me on Twitter at Chemistry Cake. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Chemistry Cake Online. Uh, and folks, it's, and I'll never get tired of saying this. It is always a pleasure and a privilege to serve as the Cake Nation's hype person. This is your friendly reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify your village. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off. Mm.